Access to data enables rare disease stakeholders to do more and accelerate results. The challenge for patient advocates and organizations is becoming as savvy about clinical data as clinicians and researchers. The Global Genes Data DIY program teaches organization leaders how to be empowered data owners and stewards. Attend the Data DIY workshops and view resources at globalgenes.org forward slash data DIY. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Global Genes Rare University is rolling out a new online course aimed at helping rare disease patients and families understand the world of genetics. The course, which is free, starts with basic genetic concepts for rare disease and then moves to family and heredity, genetic testing, and scientific advances. We spoke to Holly Snyder, a lead editor of the Rare University Genetics course and senior genetic counselor at Illumina, about what rare disease patients and their families should understand about genetics, genetic testing, and why genetic literacy matters. Holly, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. We're going to talk about genetics, what rare disease families should know, and the new Global Genes Rare University course covering the topic. You're a genetic counselor. I imagine that when most people are confronted with the diagnosis of a rare genetic disease, they're not terribly well versed in genetics. What's the general state of genetic literacy and how intimidating an area is this for people without a degree in biology? Well, I think if you had asked this question, you know, five or ten years ago, I would have had a very different answer. Um, however, as you probably know, with all of the new direct-to-consumer genetic tests that are out there on the market for fun things like ancestry, but also for significant health concerns like the breast cancer genetic testing that can be done, People seem to have, a, I guess, a better general awareness of some basic genetic terminology and the fact that um, genetics and genomics really plays an important role in our healthcare. But that said, I, I still think there's kind of a general lack of understanding about some of the basics, and these are the basic things that really help people understand a diagnosis and what a genetic test might mean. Um, there's still... Um, uncertainty and, and people are a little bit confused about different types of inheritance, um, what different tests mean. So when we say the words of a targeted panel versus a whole genome sequence, what does that really mean? Um, and, and I think it can be very daunting and intimidating for somebody that doesn't have much of a background in science and biology. Um, and thinking back to when I was a, a, a genetic counselor in the clinic, even people that did have some kind of science background who felt like they were pretty savvy still struggled with some basic concepts. 
Um, and quite frankly, those of us that are working in the field and have been in the field for many years are still feel a little bit daunted about things and we're learning new things about genomics every day. Um, but there's a lot of tools out there. There's some apps on the market. There's some um, really good websites. Uh, including the Rare University Program, but also through government agencies like the NIH that are trying to build quality resources that people feel comfortable going to to help them understand some basic genetic concepts. People may be quite overwhelmed at the time of a diagnosis. They have a lot of information to absorb. They're trying to come to terms with the consequences of what all this means for them. What advice would you have for patients with regards to educating themselves when they do have a diagnosis? What do they need to understand and, and what are the questions they should try to answer? It's going to be different for every individual. Um, and I would first and foremost encourage every patient um, and their family members or caregivers to really take the time to process the diagnosis before they uh, become sort of strongly focused on learning all the ins and outs and details about genetics and, you know, understanding what a strain of DNA means. Now, many patients that have been living and kind of breathing the diagnostic odyssey for years, which, of course, we know is, is unfortunately a common place for rare disease families, they might be in a position where the diagnosis that they get gives them a lot of relief, but it also doesn't make, I guess, significant changes to their day-to-day -day function so that they feel like, okay, I've got a diagnosis. Now I can go back to some of that information that I've been looking at and dive further into the details. And part of the development of the Rare U, um, the Rare University Genetics um, Program was a survey that Global Genes uh, performed to, to help understand what the needs are. And part of that survey um, assessed how much genetics knowledge learners and rare disease families had when they first got a diagnosis, how much they have now, and what types of resources they've used. So we know based on that that rare families are, are out there trying their hardest to learn about genetics. And so I think it's important once they have a diagnosis to maybe go back and relearn some of that information so that they can learn it in the context of their diagnosis. Um, because, you know, if they have a condition that is inherited in a certain pattern, they don't need to know about all the other patterns of inheritance in a lot of detail. They really just need to focus on it in the context of their condition. Um, and, and, I, and I think overall some common questions that um, rare families might want to answer along the way would be, how did this happen? Can it happen again? What does it mean for me? What does it mean for my family? If they're still trying to search for a diagnosis, what are the testing options available? What are the questions that I should ask my provider when I'm trying to determine whether or not I should have a certain test or not? You mentioned the diagnostic odyssey, which is commonplace for people with a, a rare condition. If a, genetic if a genetic disease is suspected, what types of questions should patients or parents ask and, and when should they seek a genetic test? Well, of course, because I'm a genetic counselor, the first thing I always, you know, think of or would recommend and encourage is seeking out a referral to either a genetic counselor or a medical geneticist, somebody that they can actually sit down and have a good conversation with, uh, you know, a genetic consult with to understand um, what their testing options are and what that means for their family. 
Um, and, and, and I recognize that just due to availability of those genetic providers and also um, kind of, you know, the overall lack of familiarity that a lot of primary care providers might have with genetic services, but that's not always going to be the place. So I would, you know, then encourage those families to start to have that discussion as early as possible. So if, you know, initial testing, clinical testing is done and they, providers still seem to be kind of scratching their head trying to understand what's the cause of this patient's clinical picture, what could be going on, if they can't come to a diagnosis, then I think as early as possible, I would recommend discussing options for genetic testing. Um, and, and going through the process and knowing that rare families, rare patients tend to have a lot of different healthcare providers that are involved in their care. And I think this happens for the most part anyway, but I would also encourage them to make sure that they have copies of all genetic test results that have been done previously. Um, just to know what's been done, what hasn't been done, because there may be new changes in previous test results where they could simply reanalyze an existing result versus having to reorder a new test. And so it's, I think it's really important to have that in their arsenal so that they can make sure that they're asking for the right questions as they move, move through the process. Um, and, and again, you know, it, it's going to be very sort of specific to whether genetic counseling is available. Um, but I, but I strongly encourage providers or patients rather to ask their provider, can I be referred for a genetic consult, whether it's with a genetic counselor or a medical geneticist? Genetic testing comes in many flavors. What do patients need to understand about these differences? Um, well, there's a lot and probably more than we can cover in this interview, but, um, there are a lot of tests available and, Again, that's kind of one of the reasons talking with a genetic professional is important so they can go through the different options and explain, you know, kind of the, the benefits, the limitations of each. Um, but just to kind of throw a little bit of Genetics 101 back, uh, you know, background in there, our genome is made up of three billion letters, right? And that's our genetic code. And those letters form words and those words form sentences. And those sentences are the instructions that tell our bodies how to grow and develop. And so the different genetic tests that are available might look at the letter. They might look at, you know, more than the letter. They might look at all the letters. They might only look at um, certain words or certain size sentences. So there's lots of nuances about what those tests are going to look at. And traditionally, the, the trajectory is kind of start with one test. If that's negative, order another. If that's negative, order another. And, and, and that. That testing process can be very, you know, stressful, very expensive, very time-consuming. And so as we advance more, we're, we're moving towards kind of a more comprehensive approach where patients can just have one test. Um, you know, an, an ideal scenario might be a whole genome sequence where they get their entire genome sequenced, and that gives them all the information that they would get from all of those other tests that are out there on the market. Um, but, but we're still a little bit of a ways away from that being available for all patients um, for lots of different reasons, um, you know, that, again, take more than more time than this interview to talk about. I think one of the surprising things many patients learn along the way is that getting a genetic test, even a whole genome sequencing, doesn't necessarily provide them the answers they're seeking. What should right. patients understand about the limits of genetic testing today? 
Yeah, this is a great question because um, this is often the part that takes the most time when counseling patients um, and also providers don't always understand the limitations. And so you're right, some families are under the impression that, okay, I had a single test, it was negative, therefore I had every test available, um, or I had a whole genome sequencing and it was negative, therefore the condition's not genetic. Um, and all tests carry limitations inherently. So some might be limited in what genes they're looking for. Maybe it's a single gene test like cystic fibrosis. So that's only going to identify mutations and genes associated with cystic fibrosis. Um, other tests may be limited by the size or type of change that can they can identify. So it might look for not really teeny tiny genetic variants, but larger variants. Um, or there's lots of different types of genetic variants that we could find. So some testing methodologies right now only can identify a handful of those. And then others, like a whole genome sequence, are going to really be limited more by the kind of analysis and interpretation piece. So when you get a whole genome sequencing, again, you're sequencing 3 billion letters of genetic code, and you have to go through all of that information and kind of filter down and find that needle in the haystack. So what is that change that is likely associated with this patient's clinical picture? And that is a, a very tedious process, and some of it can be automated, but a lot of it is hands-on, and you have people in the lab that are kind of going through, and they look at literature and publication and research to try to figure out if those changes are associated with that condition. And sometimes at the end of a whole genome sequence, a patient might get a negative result or they might get a variant of uncertain significance. And, and then there's, you know, that still doesn't mean that there isn't a genetic cause. It just means that if there is, it hasn't been identified yet with our technology. We hear a lot about the falling cost of genetic testing. How expensive is this today, and how accessible is it for patients, and where, where do you think the costs are heading? Well, the costs are definitely heading down. So depending on the type of test, um, it could be a few hundred dollars uh, to several thousand dollars. Um, and, you know, the, I think it was something like $3 billion to sequence the first genome, the first human genome. Um, and it's certainly not that expensive anymore. Um, for the most part, genetic testing is fairly accessible. So from kind of do I have access, can I have it? Um, and in many cases, it's routine. And, and unfortunately, there are some circumstances where genetic testing is performed and the patient isn't really properly consented for it. Um, and that's just because it's become such a routine part of care. The exceptions to accessibility are really with the more comprehensive tests like exome and genome sequencing, um, more so with genome sequencing. So with whole genome sequencing, only a handful of labs in the U.S. are currently performing that for a clinical reason. So lots are doing it for research purposes, but to give a patient an actual result, there's only a handful that are doing it on a clinical basis. And that's why many patients are struggling with accessing whole genome sequencing. And and fortunately, kind of an, an alternative is to start with a whole exome sequencing as the first tier test because those are uh, much more accessible and also more likely to be covered by insurance. And, and the hope is really that over the next few years that the dynamic changes um, and that whole genome sequencing becomes much more readily available. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of work being done to get us to that point, um, but it's still going to be a while, I think, before patients can just walk into their medical geneticist's office and say, you know, 
I'll, I'll, I'll have a whole genome sequence. Um, we're still a little bit ways from there. But I think generally for the traditional tests that are out there, they're relatively good with, with coverage by insurance. Um, insurance companies are comfortable with things like a microarray and single gene testing. Um, but for the more comprehensive tests, there's still limitations with access in terms of whether this is covered by my insurance. And I, and if you look at the cost of whole genome sequencing over the last few years, it has dropped significantly, um, faster than I think people expected or, or kind of what the norm is for technology. So I imagine in, in a few years' time that the cost of whole genome sequencing will be so inexpensive that it will just be a no-brainer for providers to say, let's start with a whole genome sequencing first. You've been involved with Global Genes Rare University, which is launching a free course about genetics. Who is this intended for and who should take advantage of this? So let me just say, of course, I'm a little bit biased, but this course is, is pretty amazing. Um, a lot of work and effort has gone into building this. And for other um, projects that I've been working on um, with, with my company, I've done a lot of research to see what educational tools are out there for patients and providers, um, you know, for provider education. And I think this module, this, this group of modules is going to really fill a big gap in this space. I would say that the program is designed for all rare disease patients, um, so the whole community, patients, family members, caregivers. You know, I, I guess you could say it's the patient's entire ecosystem. And it's not just for patients that have a diagnosis. I think uh, a big group of patients that will benefit are the patients that are still in the Odyssey because there's a lot of information, up-to-date information in these modules about genetic testing and what it all means and what options are available. Um, I think each user is going to have different needs and reasons for using the module. Um, they can pick and choose what they want to look through, and I think it's information that's there that they can go back to time um, after time just based on their, their needs at that given point. What does the course cover? It covers a lot. Um, it covers basic genetic concepts, everything from what is a strand of DNA to what are different types of variants um, and what can those lead to inheritance patterns, all the different testing options. Uh, there's a, there's sections on reproductive considerations. So for those families thinking about um, uh, additional children or for those uh, individuals with rare disease that are planning to, um, to have children of their own, there's information in there for, for that content. Um, it's, and it's all done with the rare patient and the rare family in mind. So there's a, an aspect of kind of psychosocial um, thought and what it's like to live with a rare disease that's intertwined throughout the content. And it is written at a level that can be shared with um, children, you know, of course, older children with their parents' consent um, and guidance, but to give them an opportunity to learn and take become empowered, I guess, with genetics um, at as young of an age as possible. And... What's the ultimate goal here? What should participants expect to walk away from from this course? Um, if, you, if the whole course is, is completed by a user, then they're going to walk away with um, sort of a great overview, comprehensive overview of basic genetics. They're not going to walk out of this course 
um, ready to provide genetic counseling. They're not going to walk out ready to get into a lab and, and use genetic research. But what we know, and, and, and I think this is a great stereotype about rare families, is they're pretty amazing advocates. And so they tend to be, in my experience, information seekers. They're sponges for learning anything that they can because they know that that information, um, and in this case, genetics knowledge, is really going to help them have, um, I think, more meaningful discussions with their healthcare providers. Um, it might give them better access to quality care or testing that maybe they weren't, weren't aware that they could have. Um, and then it's also going to give them just some basic knowledge when they need to go educate commu- their community um, about genetics and what genetic disease means. And I think it's also for those individuals that already feel like they have a good grasp of it, they may learn a few new things, and it just might build their confidence in, in their knowledge so that they can speak more confidently to other people about it. And that might be especially beneficial for those learners who are looking to expand into public policy and, and talking, they want to talk more intelligently about genetic disease and genetic testing to policymakers, you know, government agencies, um, organizations of that sort. But then I also think kind of taking it back to the patient or the learner I think it's going to have a positive impact psychologically and mentally. Um, it may make them feel more empowered about their condition. It might alleviate um, burdens of guilt or feelings of, you know, uncertainty that sometimes are associated with uh, a rare disease diagnosis. There are a number of modules and downloadable workbooks that are part of the course. Is this something someone needs to work through from start to finish? Can they pick and choose what they want to learn about? No. Again, the, the survey that was done ahead of time to assess the need, this was something that was made very clear. Um, they wanted uh, the, the rare disease community felt strongly about having the ability to um, kind of pick and choose content. So it was designed specifically to be personalized. So you can go into a module of your interest, your choice, and there's always going to be review content, and you're always going to have the workbook to supplement those modules so that you don't need to start with page one of module one and work your way all the way through the end. You really can kind of pick and choose what works for you. We're in an interesting time of scientific advances. There's a, a lot happening with genetic approaches to medicine. Beyond a, a patient's diagnosis, what's the case for genetic literacy is People want to move from diagnosis to treatment within a genetic disease. This is a great question, and it's it's a really um, exciting field, especially in um, in the world of oncology. Um, but I, I think a basic knowledge of genetics is going to be a value to everyone in the general population. So we are moving towards uh, population whole genome sequencing, where you know providers get a whole genome sequence and they they use that information. Um, to help manage a patient's health throughout their lifespan. And, and we're not, we're, I'm not talking about sequencing every newborn baby at this point, but we're just talking about moving in a direction where more and more people get sequencing, even when there's not a necess- uh, necessarily an indication like a rare disease. And so I think for that reason, increasing genetic literacy is really important. But for, for rare disease, I think, um, especially when rare disease families are having discussions with drug researchers, for example, about building, um, you know, research studies to find a, a drug treatment or a drug therapy. 
And we've seen examples of that already in the rare disease community. I think it's important for having those conversations. Okay, I've got my diagnosis. You know, that part is behind us. We're, we're living in the now. How do we, how do we move to the future with this information that we have? And of course, the number one thing people think about is treatment. And so in, in, in engaging with those researchers and also in reading um, scientific articles, you know, publications that are out there, it helps to have this literacy so that you can read those papers um, and feel like, okay, I understand this. This isn't over my head. I can at least understand what some of this content means. And I think that that's really important so you're not turned off by, you know, reading about genetic testing and reading about uh, research that's out there because you feel like you've got that kind of glossary, you've got that understanding that you can feel comfortable going to that article or or talking to that researcher in a much more intellectual way. The Rare University Genetics course is available for free at rareuniversity.com. Holly Snyder, a lead editor of the Rare University Genetics course and senior genetic counselor at Illumina. Holly, thanks so much for your time. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. And we really hope everybody enjoys uh, the new genetics course. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The Bio Report, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.